Hello, Regeneration. We will be starting Ephesians chapter 3. So going through verses 1 through 6 this morning. In kind of observing governments uh, all around the world, ours included, we, we spend so much effort, so much time, so much money to create unity within all the differences that people have with each other. And so we spend so much resource into education, community development, diversity training, whether that be in companies or schools. And the interesting thing is the church had this unity. Did you know that the church in Ephesus was a very multiracial, multi-ethnic, multicultural, a very, very diverse community? And it seems that the church has gone backwards in some senses. That the differences that divided people have, whether it's class, gender, race, they're, they're all to be broken down in Christ. And the church brought together people who were different. You see, in Christ you are never alone. That you have brothers and sisters all over the entire globe. And anyone who has gone outside of the country, whether on some outreach trip or uh, relief trip or mission trip, and we've met up with other Christians, we know this, that there's this instant camaraderie, fellowship, bond, that in Christ we have someone greater who brings us together, even though there are things that are different about us. In Christ, we have a community that, that comes together, even though... We're so different. And prior to COVID, I think this was evident in our church. Many different people here. And who brought us together was Jesus Christ. When you believed in Christ, you got placed in his family. And suddenly, you had billions and billions of siblings spanning all the centuries. And this is one of the beauties of the church. To be connected to the family of God regardless of class, race, nationality, language, education, occupation, even politics. Anything that may have created enmity and hostility has now been broken down in Christ so that we are friends, that we are family and all of us different people came together because we have been saved by Jesus Christ. We didn't come together for any other reason. There wasn't any other reason that brought us here. Well, most of us. Sometimes there are some outlying secondary things that bring us here. But then ultimately you find out that the thing that kind of glues us all together is Christ. In our differences... Some of them are pretty extreme and, and some of them causing a lot of strife between the relationship. But those differences have been broken down for Jesus' sake. And this is something very special about the church. It's not to be expected in other places, but this unity is expected in the church. And sadly, this is not the case for all churches. And for our church, Regeneration, of course, we can always do better. And hopefully we are striving to and moving in a direction that we want to 
reconcile differences and create peace here where everybody is welcome and hopefully we continue to grow in this. When we used to meet in person and when we meet again, it's really evident how different we all are. Not everyone here has the same education level. We have different backgrounds, different ethnicity, gender, socioeconomic status, race. It's quite diverse. And if you brought someone who doesn't know Christ yet into the church, they might wonder, how can all these people who are, who are so different from one another come together like this? Because it doesn't usually happen. What is it that brings the church together? And the more appropriate question is, who brings us together? Which is why it is so important to gather when we're able to, because here the church is, is one of the places where people can see. They can see what unity is supposed to look like, despite our differences. That in all of our differences, some that are more serious than others, we're still united in our love for Jesus Christ. And a miraculous example of this was between the Gentiles and the Jews. Never would they have gotten together as recorded for us in the Bible. This would never happen. But now we read of Paul who wrote this letter, who is a Jewish Christian, writing about the unity with Gentiles, Gentile Christians. And this is quite the miracle. When we think of church, oftentimes people think of it as a place. It's not a place. It's not a destination. The church is a living community. It's not the location here that we belong to. We belong to each other. And as walls of hostility build up over various differences, whether gender, race, nationality, politics, whatever, we're to have those broken down in Christ Jesus. And so you see why community is so important because this is where it's played out. This is where that breaking down of those walls of hostility are played out. This is where reconciliation and forgiveness and love is played out. Because if your faith is just personal, that your faith in Jesus is solely personal and without a community, how could you then exercise, work out your faith to practice forgiveness, patience, Love, mercy, grace. There's nowhere to practice those things, to live out your faith in those things. The world couldn't see the miracle of the coming together in Christ even when there are walls of hostility that separate us. They need to be able to see that, experience that, live that. The love of Christ breaks down those walls and we are to organically show the world how Christ brings us together in community. How we overcome our differences in Christ, who is greater than any differences that we can have with each other. And so the question of, do we need to go to church? The answer is yes. Not to come to this building, but to come together in community, especially with others who are different than you. 
but we have the same Christ, that we're both in Christ, we are united in Christ. And to show that all those differences, those walls of hostility are broken down in Him. Being in Christ is not just between you and Jesus. Being in Christ is also being together as a community, as a church, despite of those differences, to focus on Jesus Christ, to break down those walls of hostility. And it's really important to keep in mind so that when we meet up again, because it is important for us to gather together, especially when there are so many differences amongst us and, so, and oftentimes very heated differences, and that's when the unity of being in Christ, that's when it needs to shine the brightest. And so when we look at verse 1 in chapter 3, it reads, For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. Now Paul is um, a funny writer. Uh, you'll notice here that he has this pause after Gentiles. And then he goes into this other thought for quite some time before he picks up the for the reason why he wrote this, which is found in verse 14. So for, from verses 2 to 13, it's like he has this interrupting thought to share with us before he gets back on track in verse 14. But this is what happens when we write letters, right? You're writing letters and you're just kind of going, and uh, it, it's not like uh, word processing or something where you can delete a line. He's, he's writing, and... He's not writing a dissertation. He's not writing a book. It's a letter. And this happens to us when we're kind of writing. That we're, we're glad that he had these things to share with us in verses 2 to 13. That he had this pause because they're really important as this is what the Holy Spirit led him to write. And, and we'll go over them in the next few weeks here. So let's look at how Paul describes himself here in verse 1. He says he calls himself a prisoner of Christ Jesus. For a person looking at Paul, they wouldn't necessarily describe him as a prisoner of Christ Jesus. They would describe him as a prisoner of Rome, that he's Rome's prisoner. Because at that time, Rome was the oppressor. And even though Paul was a Roman citizen, he was a prisoner of Rome. But Paul doesn't see it this way. He, he sees God's providence in this entire situation, that God is sovereign over his life. That there were many things that didn't work out favorably for Paul, but he knew God was in it. Do we have this faith? Are we prisoners of Jesus Christ that even though things don't seem to be going right around us, that things seem divided, that things are not unified, that we have the faith that we are prisoners of Christ and therefore God is in control and this is providential, that we trust him and he's going to work things out. You see, Paul had plenty of opportunity to be disappointed, to be resentful and bitter and agitated with, with what was happening in his life. But we read here that he isn't. And he says, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus. How do you view your current circumstances, your current situation, what you're going through emotionally, mentally, physically, socially? How do you view all of that today? And I know that there are people who have all sorts of negative feelings and thoughts going on with them right now. 
And hopefully, the gospel of Christ changes your outlook. That you're not a prisoner to your circumstances or to the things that are happening around you or the situation that you're faced with. When you belong to Christ Jesus, we we don't read of Paul being frustrated and angry with his situation, with the things he's confronted with while he's writing this letter to the Ephesians. We, We don't read him giving up, leaving. We don't read of him making excuses. He says, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus. Paul sees his circumstances differently than others who don't have Christ. That people without Christ would see his circumstances as miserable, as stifling, and that he's totally out of control of what's happening. But Paul doesn't see it this way. Paul lives his circumstances. He knows what they are, and he says, you know what, this is all in God's hands. God's in control. I'm in God's hands. And so let's just go with this. Let's move forward. And whatever you have for me, God, they're not the best of situations. But you're with me and and I'm going to move forward with you here. And you put me here with this community. I'm yours. Let's go. And it's not that Paul didn't need encouragement, that Paul didn't need prayer. His other letters show that he needed the church's support. But he also wrote in verse 13, So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Do we have other people in mind that it's not all about us? That there is some discomfort, that there is some suffering when we're living in community with each other and breaking down those walls of hostility, when there are divisions amongst us, to persevere through them. And we read here that Paul kept going about God's business even in horrible circumstances. How about us? When we're not getting along with other people, when we're faced with circumstances that we're not happy about, that we've had a bad week. I mean, get real. We've had a bad 10 months, right? Like, what are we going to do with that? Are we going to fall prisoner to what's happening around us? Are we going to get resentful and bitter about things we can't control, like COVID and how it's affecting people? Are we going to get paralyzingly disappointed about our finances and agitated about our circumstances? Are we going to give up? Are we going to stop caring? Are we going to make excuses? A reminder that you're not a prisoner to your circumstances. You belong to Christ. And it doesn't mean that we won't go through heartache or disappointment. But God has you. God has us. And wherever you are, whatever you're going through, God is with you. And when God is with you, there is something for you to do with Him. Where you are at right now. That He is training you. That this discomfort, this kind of 
agitation, this, this sort of uneasy feeling. He's training you. He has great faith in you for such a time as this. The circumstances haven't changed. Ten months later, they're still horrible. But you know, if you're sticking with the Lord, you change. And you constantly change. God is changing us. Who are we becoming during these uneasy times? I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus. Paul's circumstances didn't change. But God changed him. God changed him for his glory. Now why is Paul a prisoner for Christ Jesus? Continuing on in verse 1. On behalf of you Gentiles. Paul became a prisoner because of what he preached. Telling people that this wall of hostility between Jews and Gentiles, that has been broken down by Christ Jesus. And Paul went around telling anyone who would listen that Jesus created a new people and a new temple, a new dwelling place. Not something Jews were interested in hearing about at all. And I hope it has gotten across to you this serious divide between Jews and Gentiles. Because it needs to serve as an encouragement in our current divisions that there is hope for unity because their wall of hostility was so tall. It was so thick. Jews regarded Gentiles as dogs and not like the cutesy dogs that live in our homes that we get cuddles with. You know, every morning I have a 160-pound dog who insists with cuddling with me in the mornings and so he keeps pawing at the door to, to let him in because we, we shut him out because he snores really loud. So he, he has to sleep outside of our room. But every morning he's just pawing and pawing and he wants to come in and he wants those morning cuddles. Jews did not regard Gentiles as that. Jews regarded Gentiles as dirty scavengers. That Gentiles were not allowed in the homes of Jews because that would make them unceremonially unclean. And so this is Paul's background. And these are the beliefs that he held, that he grew up with, that he was surrounded with as a Pharisee. And Paul was a blasphemer and opposed to ever making peace with the Gentiles. Do you find yourself in a place like this? Where you're looking at that other person on the other side of whatever you're disagreeing with. As a dog as a low life, as a whatever you want to view them as. In Christ, the wall is supposed to be broken down, that we are to unite. God has quite a sense of humor because it'd be like God taking a political extremist to bring news of peace to sides that are actually at enmity with each other, but this is what God does. Jesus Christ changes people. He changed Paul. And Paul started preaching the message of Christ and got imprisoned for it. Paul preached that Messiah was just as much for the Gentiles as he is for the Jews. And this was blasphemous to them. They couldn't stand this unity and peace, that, that this message of peace that Paul was bringing. And they wanted Paul dead. Take a look at Acts chapter 22. The story's all there. I'll just summarize uh, the outcome of it from verses 21 and 23. 
And he, God, said to me, Paul, Go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Up to this word they, the Jews, listened to him. Then they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. And as they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air, you see how mad they were? You see how ticked off they were? These guys were so emotionally involved with this. They were ready to kill somebody because of this. The gospel of Christ, this unity, it's going to tick people off because pieces of yourself are going to have to die to bring about peace. And this is not easy to listen to. This is not like smooth jazz. I mean, this is like hard. It's this, back in Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Things to think about. Think about those four verses in light of the political turmoil of our country, in light of COVID, in light of all the racial tension in our country. And think about how our world tries so hard, so hard politically, socially, uh, economically, in every which way possible. The world tries so hard to create unity and to create equity but it fails so miserably despite all of the money and the effort and the time that is put into it people have tried their best with legislation they've tried their best with education will they ever succeed at it not without Christ not without Christ when could a Jew and Gentile eat together in each other's homes in peace? When could a rich person and a poor person be united? When can a highly educated person worship together with an uneducated person? Where can all of these things happen? In the living church. It happens in us. This happens amongst us when we gather. When we gathered pre-COVID every Sunday, that's what was happening. And the world gets a picture of how heaven is to be through us. And sometimes we get this picture right and sometimes we get this picture really wrong. Take a look at Galatians chapter 3, verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Have you ever wondered why people's view of the church is so low? We have such an amazing opportunity that God has given us, and He is with us in this opportunity, but so often we are blowing it. 
We are messing up this opportunity. We are not living out this unity. We're not breaking down the walls of hostility in Christ. And it happens. But what Christ wants to happen will happen. That nothing will stop Christ from doing what he has predestined to already do. Wouldn't it be amazing if we were like Paul though? I, and you can fill in your name, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, that we lived for that. That that's who we were prisoner to. We, we don't live this spiritual life in isolation by ourselves. We live this kind of a life in community for others. And that's why Paul was imprisoned. Verse 2, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. And you notice that God's grace was given to Paul for others. That we have been given grace by God for others. How? It's a mystery. Take a look at verse 3. How the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. And now this word mystery is found multiple times in this chapter. It's found in verses 3, 4, 6, 9. And evidently, a very important word in this chapter. Now what is this mystery? Well, the word used for mystery is speaking of an unsolved mystery, or better yet, an unsolvable mystery. It's not a, a mystery that can be figured out by oneself or figured out by other people. It's a mystery that can only be unveiled by, by the revelation of the Holy Spirit. It's a mystery hidden from human knowledge, from understanding and wisdom, but revealed when God reveals it through his revelation. And Paul speaks of this revelation on multiple occasions. Let, let's just pull up one from Galatians chapter 1, starting in verse 11. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Understand that you can't convince someone of Jesus Christ. You can't do it. You can't debate them into it. You can't argue them into it. It has to be revealed to them. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, starting in verse 6. Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But, as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. Revelation. None of us knows how it happened. All we know is it happened. We just know it happened. This mystery. And when Paul mentioned, as I have written briefly at the end of verse 3 there, he's writing about the mystery from earlier in his letter from chapter 1, verse 9. Now, Going on to verse 4 of Ephesians 3. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. 
here we read of Paul's letter carrying the authority of God. Now Peter recognizes that Paul is writing scripture that, that carries the authority of God like the rest of scripture. Look at what Peter wrote, 2 Peter chapter 3 starting in verse 15. And this is from Peter, direct disciple of Jesus, writing this. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. So you see, Peter recognizes Paul's writings like the other scriptures, that Paul had apostolic authority and there is no spiritual authority outside the scriptures. Paul acknowledges the mystery of Christ, his incarnation, his, his divine nature while simultaneously having a human nature, all these mysteries. And without revelation, people just look at Jesus as another man. They did it in Jesus' day. They do it today. And they say things like Jesus wasn't divine. He was just another man, maybe slightly better, but still just a man. And people won't know who Jesus really is without the revelation from the Holy Spirit. Verse 5. Which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Now Paul isn't saying that the mystery isn't knowable or understandable because it is. The truth of Jesus is knowable, it's understandable, it's well-defined as the scriptures give it to us. It's just that we can't know or understand by our own human reasoning or our own human deduction. But when it is revealed to us, it's not complicated, it's actually very straightforward. But, but what does this phrase here, was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, what does that mean? Now, Paul is writing about people like Abraham, that Abraham didn't have a complete revelation about what Genesis 18.18 says, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. He didn't have a complete revelation of what that meant. Jeremiah didn't have a complete revelation about what this meant in Jeremiah when he wrote in Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 19, a heritage most beautiful of all nations. He didn't have a complete revelation as to what that meant. But now it has been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit that people like Paul and Peter have been given the Spirit to understand what Abraham and Jeremiah couldn't because they didn't have the complete revelation. They have it a piece. And this is what Acts chapter 10 through 12 speak of in the life of Peter when Peter is confronted with his bigotry, when he's confronted with his religious and racial discrimination and injustice. Peter has to deal with his unrighteous views toward Gentiles. He, he hasn't been changed regarding this unrighteousness, this injustice just yet. And I'll summarize Acts chapter 10. In Acts chapter 10, we have a centurion by the name of Cornelius. This centurion is told by God to send his men to Joppa and bring Peter. Peter is there lodging with Simon the Tanner. 
Now this is a little bit odd because Jews didn't deal with dead animals unless they were eating kosher ones. And here is a tanner, which obviously means that he's dealing with dead animals. And what this tells us is that Peter isn't a complete racist or a complete religious bigot because he's hanging out with Simon the Tanner. Then Peter gets this vision of where a bunch of animals are on this sheet and they aren't kosher animals and a voice comes out to tell him to eat those animals and Peter says, nah, I'm Jewish. I, I don't do that. And then Peter ends up at Cornelius' house with the other Gentiles, which tells us that he's moved along in the racist kind of uh, spectrum. But then he highlights kind of the racial, religious discrimination spectrum, saying like he's not all the way quite there when that sheet of animals there, and he's saying like, no, I'm not, I can't do that, I'm Jewish. But while at Cornelius' house, he hears what they've heard from the angels that spoke to Cornelius, then Peter in Acts chapter 10 verse 23 takes another bold step against his racist ways by inviting these Gentiles into his home as his guests. And it's not until Acts chapter 10 verse 34 that Peter opened his mouth and he said this, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears confronted with these various things all along. And he was doing well in some things. And like with the sheet and the animals, he kind of failed at that one. And it's God who revealed to Peter that he was no more acceptable to God than anybody else. That God has no favorites. And anyone who fears God and does what is right and acceptable to God is received. Cornelius and Peter had to treat each other as equals despite their differences. And this is the grace of God at work. Seeing people as equals around the entire globe regardless of our differences when we are in Christ. Verse 6. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the Gospels. The Gentiles used to be excluded. They were excluded from the promises and the covenants of God, but now they are fellow heirs. They are equals. They get the same promises, the same covenants. They are equal members of the same body with no difference. They are full equals. Same partakers of the same promise. They get the same provision. It says fellow heirs, that they are members of the same body, partakers of the, the same promise in Christ through the gospel, God's once veiled plan when it wasn't a completely revealed, has been unveiled in Christ Jesus to Peter, to Paul, to, to others. It was revealed to them and we are to reveal this to the nations. Let me end with Revelation chapter 7, starting in verse 9. It's a picture of the church. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, pure, innocent, forgiven, with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, 
Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we've had a, a challenging past 10 months. And in this past week, we've also had a challenging week. We ask, Lord, for your grace to flow in your church, for walls of hostility to be broken down in Christ Jesus, that we are to unite in Christ Jesus, that all these other problems around us are minute compared to the reconciliation you brought to us through your son, through his blood, through his sacrifice to unite us to you and to reconcile with one another. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have your communion elements, uh, if you can please bring those out. And we'll start with the body of Christ, this bread symbolizing the body of Christ. If there is division amongst a brother or a sister, before you take communion, please work that out. God came to bring us peace, peace with himself and peace with each other. And if Gentile Christians and Jewish Christians can unite under Jesus Christ with thousands and thousands of years feeding into that animosity and hostility, surely you can do that with a fellow brother or sister in the church today. We take this for the glory of Christ, recognizing the grace he has given us. Fruit of the vine, the blood Christ spilled. And these divisions that we may have, do have, within the church. Christ unites in himself. Don't let anything become your idol. It is in Christ and Christ alone. And we take this blood that we know washes us clean and cleanses us. Take this together. Lord Jesus, we ask for forgiveness for the places that we have misstepped, that we have not misrepresented you well. We ask, Lord, that we would all have a spirit of humility in us to repent, to confess where we have wronged each other, where we, where we have wronged you. We ask, Lord, that we would be softened to hear your voice. We ask that you, Jesus Christ, would be paramount in our life. No other idol. In Jesus' name, amen.